Uh, If you have your Bible, you can grab it, head over to Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab uh, your phone or tablet, head over to the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, you'll get all of our notes and scriptures. You can also look in our bulletin for that, Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 5. We'll get there eventually. So we are in week five of a six-week series we've just called Neighboring. And uh, so next week is the last week, and I would love for us to have a big Sunday uh, for our last week in this series. So make sure you show up and bring people with you. It'd be a good uh, week to do that. Uh, but we're talking about the great commandment to love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And what we focused on the back half of that because Jesus said on both of these, the whole prophet and law, the scriptures hang on both of them. So not just love God, but love your neighbor as yourself. So we focused on the neighboring part. And um, as we've talked about this, our basis for this series has just been that when Jesus said this and when it shows up in other places in the Bible, it's not metaphorical, it's not symbolic, it's not lofty. It's literal. Love your literal, your actual neighbor as yourself. The people God has sovereignly and providentially placed you next to, the houses next to you. Love them as yourself. You can broaden the definition of neighbor to include people on the other side of the earth or or on the other side of the country, on the other side of the city, those in great need on the side of the road, whatever. You can broaden that definition, but not until you start loving your actual neighbor as yourself. It starts with that. So love always goes next door. Love for God always leads to a love um, for your neighbor. And, and so that's what we've been talking about. And yet in week one, we found that the vast majority of us don't even really know the names of eight families, the eight families living closest to our home. We don't even really know their names. And so this series has been very practical, and I've heard uh, a bunch of stories uh, from many of you who are taking this seriously, stepping out, loving your neighbor as yourself, watching God work. I've even met some of your neighbors who you brought to church, so that's exciting. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you taking this, this very seriously. So in this series, um, we've talked about the great commandment, and we've talked about our motives in it. We've talked about our excuses that we usually throw out there to keep from following the great commandment. And last week, we talked about the rewards that we get. Jesus said, uh, go and do this, and you will live, right? Do this, and you will live. He's talking about love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there are definitely rewards, and we talked about that last week. You can get all those on iTunes um, if you missed any services. I definitely want you to get the first week. That's the foundation. If you weren't here that week, please listen to it um, while you're on your commute or or whatever. Um, You could listen to it while you're running on the treadmill, although that might be like distracting. You might fall off the treadmill. Um, Also, some of you like like the, the music to pump you up. That's probably not my voice on a sermon. So you decide, okay? You decide when you're going to listen to it, but make sure you listen to it. So uh, also, if you want to go deeper in this, uh, we've been using these two books as uh, kind of pulling some content from these two books, The Neighboring Church and The Art of Neighboring. So grab these from Amazon. Uh, You can uh, study deeper. We obviously don't have uh, the time to go through all the content in those books, and a lot of our content isn't from those books, and yet uh, this is a chance for you to kind of go deeper in this whole neighboring thing if you want to. But today, I want to talk to you about plans. So we've talked about motives, excuses, rewards, and today, plans. When you start planning, it gets serious, doesn't it? When you start planning something, all of a sudden it gets pretty serious. And it's one thing to say you're going to take your wife to Europe someday. It's another thing to start planning the dates, the budget, the travel, 
right? It's one thing to say you're going to diet and get in shape. It's another to sit down and choose a diet and then write a list of groceries you need to follow that diet and then get your calendar out and start to look at when you can go to the gym. That's different, right? And those are practical things that I think we can get our heads around, but this is true too. It's one thing to say you're going to be a godly parent, a good mom, a loving dad. It's another to start writing out a plan about how you're going to accomplish that, right? It's one thing to say, hey, we need to spend more time together so that we have a strong marriage. It's a totally different thing to sit down and go, how are we going to spend more time together so that we can have a strong marriage? Are you with me? There's a difference there. You can realize you need to step up your game when it comes to your pursuit of Christ, your relationship with God, but to take a beat and start planning how you're going to do that, to ask someone to mentor you, to come up with a Bible study plan, a Bible reading plan, to get into your calendar and make worshiping with your church family a priority, that's different. You see, my, my fear is that most of us never get to the planning stage with some of life's more, most important things. We know intuitively that a vacation isn't going to plan itself, that a diet isn't going to plan itself. And yet when it comes to having a a good marriage, a healthy marriage, or parenting like God wants us to, we kind of expect those things to happen on their own. No planning necessary. But that's not the way it works, right? Right? The truth is, with anything in life, you will only be as effective as you are intentional. You will only be as effective as you are intentional. Your intentionality and your willingness to make a plan directly affect your ability to accomplish anything worthwhile in your life, right? You will only be as effective as you are intentional. And that's true with marriage and parenting and grandparenting in your walk with Christ, your job. And in neighboring, in seeking to fulfill the great commandment to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, if you want, if you want to be a nice neighbor, no planning necessary for most of us. Some of you need to plan to be a nice neighbor, right? If you want to be a nice dad, a nice mom, no need to get serious about this thing. If you want a nice marriage, You don't have to have difficult discussions about priorities and change and plans, action. You don't have to come up with a plan and execute it. But if you want something more, if you're convinced that God has more for you to be and to do, then it's going to take intentionality and it's going to take planning. Because nice is nice, right? But it's not enough. I mean, it's better than actively seeking to ruin your neighbor's lives, right? It's better than actively seeking to ruin your own marriage or mess up your kids. It's better than awful. Nice is better than awful, right? But it definitely doesn't line up with with what Christ did for us. 
how he went 100% for us, gave everything for us. It does, nice doesn't really describe what the triune God had planned from the beginning of time to reach into darkness when you didn't know anything. It wasn't 50-50. It wasn't like you came halfway and he was like, okay, well, since you hit the line, I'll come and save you. You didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. We were stuck in darkness, and yet God said, I'll die for them. He went all the way, reached into darkness, and brought you out with the greatest sacrifice he could have done that with, Christ on the cross. We wouldn't use nice to describe that. Listen, going from nice neighbors to gospel-centered neighbors means we'll have to get intentional and do some planning. So I want to talk to you today about a four-pronged plan, okay, a Four steps, just a, a plan. I'm not doing all of it for you. You'll have to get specific within this plan, but I believe as you sit down with your life group or your, your family or your spouse and you start to talk through these four steps, you'll be able to get specific and you'll be heading in the right, right direction for sure. You'll be taking this from good intentions to something um, you actually do and that carries weight and has a potential to change lives. So step one, we're going to go through four steps today. Step one is open your heart. Open your heart. Everybody say open your heart. Let's try again. Everybody say open your heart. That was much better. Before you get into a bunch of things you want to do for your neighbors and the specifics about how you're going to get to know your neighbors or whatever else, you need to open your heart. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying with this step is to open your heart first to their existence. Some of you live your life like your neighbors don't exist. You leave your garage and go out for the day and you come back and you drive right back into your garage, shut the door, and it's like an ant scurrying out of an anthill, getting some food and running back in as fast as they can, right? That's some of us when we go out and and we do. So this is about moving from ignoring your neighbors to, to actually thinking about them, consider them. Open your heart in that you start to think about what are their needs? What are, their, what are they going through? They're, when you look at their houses as you drive by, it's not just buildings. It's, you think about the, the lives and the people they represent, right? One guy in our church um, shared with me, that he tends to be pretty introverted and kind of avoid social situations. So this has been difficult for him, but this series um, has challenged him to start getting to know his neighbors, noticing them, reaching out. And so the other day, he and his family were pulling into their house, and their neighbor was, this lady was out in uh, the driveway moving big piles of, of brick And basically, they had had some work done, and the workers had just left these piles of brick for her to move out of her driveway. And so um, he saw that she was doing that, and he jumped out of the car, and he went, and he just started helping her move bricks out of the driveway. A couple minutes later, his elementary-age kid showed up. His son showed up with a shovel, like, hey, can I help, Dad? And they helped this lady with something that she was struggling with, all because he refused to ignore his neighbor. He could have easily done what lots of us do and just drive by like, ah, that would stink to move those bricks. Let's go eat dinner, (laughs) right? Like, man, those bricks look heavy. Whew, glad it's not me, right? But instead, he didn't do that. He jumped out of his car and he said, I can move bricks. I mean, I can pick things up and set them down. I can do that. It's not complex. It's not complicated. It's not hard. He just goes, "I I can do that. And his son saw that example 
and the, the woman was ministered to because of it. All because they refused to ignore their neighbor. So open your heart. Move from ignoring to thinking about them. Notice them. But that's not enough. That's not enough. This step is really uh, about opening your heart and that you begin to pray for your neighbors. You move from ignoring to noticing or thinking about them to, to praying for them. And people say things like, sending thoughts your way, thinking about you today. That's good, I guess. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> what are you thinking about me? But personally, I don't care if you send thoughts my way. I don't even know what that means. Do you? I mean, what does it really even mean? Like, I, if you're sending thoughts my way, I don't know if I'm not as smart as you or whatever, but if you're sending thoughts my way, I ain't receiving them. <laughs> I'm just not getting them. I'm like, oh, come on. But it just doesn't, I'm not getting the thoughts that you're sending. So I don't really understand that. I don't, I don't get that. Sending thoughts your way. Thinking about you. Okay, but what does that do exactly? Don't send thoughts my way. Send prayers to God on my behalf. Pray for me. Some people even say, I'm sending prayers your way. I'm like, wrong direction. (laughs) Right? Pray to God on my behalf. Your thoughts are pretty much useless to me. You can write that down. Just write it down. Let's tweet it out. Pastor Jake, your thoughts are useless to me. But your prayers, those are useful. So pray for your neighbors. Move from ignoring to thinking about them to praying for them. In the book, uh, Neighboring Church, the authors talk about the fact that God made our brains in such a way that they filter out the vast majority of, of stimuli so that we can perceive and understand what's important. If our brains didn't do this, we'd be overwhelmed and we wouldn't be able to make sense of things. So in every moment, our brains automatically sort stuff out that's not important to us. The best example of this is when you get a new car. Have you ever gotten a new car or a car that's new to you, a different car, and as soon as you started driving this car, all of a sudden you noticed a ton of other cars that look just like your new car? You ever notice that? And you're like, what is going on? I never noticed all these cars, same make and model as mine. Is this the matrix or what? Is this a glitch in the system? What is going on? It's not the matrix. Those people didn't get those cars because you got yours. They've always been there, but your brain has filtered them out to this point. You didn't notice them because before you had that car, before you had the same car, they weren't important to you. You didn't didn't notice them. So God has designed your brain to work in this way, to have this filter. And this works with prayer too, because when you begin to pray, God opens up a window in your brain so that you start seeing things that you didn't notice before. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I'll read it for you. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now listen to this part. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. So he prayed that we would have the eyes of our hearts 
enlightened, that they would be opened. Follow me here. That, that means the eyes of our hearts are at times closed, right? Closed to certain things. It means that right now there are things that you and I are blind to, blind spots. And the thing about blind spots is that you can't see them. There's another thing to tweet out. Like, that's a good philosophy, right? You can't see what you're blind to? That's what blind means. You with me? And so when you have a blind spot, you can't fix that. You can't make yourself see where you are blind. You can't do that. When you have a blind spot, you're only shot at seeing in that area, seeing what you are to this point blind to is to have outside help, right? Somebody to come from the outside and go, hey, you're not seeing this. The only hope you have is for the, for the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart to see what you cannot currently see. So that's your first prayer. Before you pray for your neighbor's specific problems or whatever, you pray for yourself. You pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, opened. That you would start seeing and noticing things that you didn't notice before. You pray that God would open a window in your mind and your brain so that you would notice your neighbors. You pray for yourself, that God would change your heart, that the Holy Spirit would give you a desire to love your neighbors. You pray for yourself, for your heart. And then you begin praying for your neighbors, specifically, one by one. Listen, beloved, you should probably talk to God about your neighbors before you talk to your neighbors about God. Don't you think? You should probably talk to God about your neighbors before you talk to your neighbors about God. And to be clear, I'm not talking about kneeling down somewhere and saying in your best King James voice, like, oh, heavenly Father, Father of heaven and earth and wind and fire, heaven and earth and wind and fire, I beseech thee, O Lord, on behalf of my neighbors, eth. <laughs> Prayer is a conversation with God. You don't need to go King James on us. Prayer is, have you ever noticed that though? Where people who talk normal, normally, when they pray, they turn King James. That's just something to, <laughs> something to laugh about, right? It's like, wow, he sounds different when he prays. Prayer is a conversation with God. You don't have to always go King James and in a prayer closet. You, you can pray when you're out in your yard. You can pray when you pass them. You see them in the car. Pray for them. Do, do the concerted prayer on your knees in the prayer closet thing. Absolutely do that, but don't stop there. Don't, don't think that's the only way to pray. Pray continually throughout your day. And some other basic things for you to write down as you think through this step. First, people want to be prayed for. No matter their beliefs, most people respond positively to being prayed for. So don't psych yourself out about this. Like, oh, I don't want to, they're not going to want me to pray for them. Almost everybody wants to be prayed for. Second, pray specific prayers. Don't just stop at the whole, like, Lord, bless my neighbors, amen, done. Prayed for my neighbors today, check. Don't stop there. Don't stop at that level. Pray for the kids going to school by name. Pray for marriages. Pray that God would provide the job, the person to fix the car, the hope that they need. So, so realize that people want to be play, prayed for and 
and pray specific prayers for your neighbors. And then be willing to be the answer yourself. If they're having car trouble and you have the finances or the know-how to help them, be the answer to your own prayer. If you're praying that they would be encouraged today, that God would send somebody to cross their path and lift their spirits, be willing to be that person for them. This goes back to that James passage where he says, if you talk to somebody in need and you say they're hungry and cold and you say, hey, I hope that you have something to eat today and I hope you get a coat and I hope you feel warm and well-fed and I'll be praying for you. See you later. And you leave your brother or your sister out in the cold, hungry on the side of the street. That's not love, right? And that's not faith. And so when you pray for your neighbors, be willing to be the answer for them. So, The plan starts with a plan to pray. I don't want you to miss this. Loving your neighbor starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Open your heart. That's step one. You have to start there. Here's step two. Open your life. Everybody say open your life. Open your heart, then open your life. Step two in this plan um, is when you start making changes in the way you live. What I mean is that These are tweaks, sometimes very small, systematic, intentional changes in the way you and your family do life that would position you to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. It just puts you in a different footing so that you can actually pull this off. So so take a second and think about about what you do with your family at your house. How how does your family, you and your spouse, your friends, whatever, how do you spend nights and weekends at your house. If you're not careful, you can live your life in such a way that it's hard to tell whether you're home or not, right? If you live your life in such a way that your house looks the same on vacation as when you're here, then that's something to think about, right? That's something to think about when we talk about living our lives, different opening our lives. What I'm saying is that many of us drive from garage to work to store to to school or whatever and back into our garage. We get home, we hit the garage door button, it closes and we don't leave again till the next morning. We don't go outside of our doors again until the next morning. Or if we do go outside, we go to the backyard, not the front. Opening your life to your neighbors means that you open the garage doors and you leave them open. It means that if you're playing with the kids inside, you play with them outside instead. It means that if you're in the backyard, you go to the front yard instead. It means that if you're in your living room reading and relaxing, you think, I I can do the same thing outside. And you go and you read and relax on a lawn chair in the front yard. This is just small tweaks, right? We'll, We'll do the same things. We'll just do them in the front instead of the back, outside instead of inside. Because how are you going to get to know your neighbors? Move from stranger to acquaintance to friend like we talked about in week two if they never see you and you never see them. How how are you going to pull this off? It's just not going to work. You got to open up your life. And because you've been praying, when you see your neighbors going to get the mail or doing something in their yard or getting home from work, you strike up a conversation with them. You find out names and you start moving in the right direction. Instead of spending your life trying to be interesting, trying to be someone that other people like, spend your life being interested. Instead of being interesting, be interested. Open your life to your neighbors and show interest in their lives. 
Open your life up to them. Maybe you drop something in their mailbox about making a neighborhood directory. You show interest in them. Someone in our church did this a couple weeks ago and she was challenged by a message in her life group to step out and start doing neighboring, start neighboring for real. And she was telling me that um, she decided to go around and just put a, put a note in all our neighbors' mailboxes about making a neighborhood directory so that we could get to know each other's names and get to know each other a little bit better. And she said her neighbors responded really well. In fact, uh, she was at a cross-country meet uh, soon after she put that in everybody's mailbox and she was talking to her friend about what she had done and how she'd been challenged and what um, she was trying to accomplish. And somebody behind her goes, oh, that was you? (laughs) I'm one of your neighbors. Thanks for putting that in there. That was an awesome idea. And they met each other, figured out each other's names and started a friendship right there. You see how this can work? It's just opening up your life to your neighbors and allowing God to lead you in building relationship with them. Live life on your front porch instead of your back porch. Live life with the garage doors up instead of down. We have become a retreating culture, have we not? We go out during the day only to retreat to our homes at night. We live our lives online instead of in the real world. We hide from real connection. Even when we're out and about with friends, many of us can't get our faces off of our phones. Some of us always have earbuds in when we're out grocery shopping or or out walking or whatever. Step two is about swimming upstream against this cultural current and intentionally living our lives around other people in our neighborhood because That's the only way we're ever going to love our neighbors as ourselves. So open your heart and your life. Step three, open your doors. So you've noticed them, thought about them, begun to pray for them. You started living your life in the front yard instead of the back. You've made changes that put you in a position to get to know your neighbors better. Now you actually open your doors to them. You take the next step and you you invite them into your life. You go from seeing them by chance out in the yard or or driving or whatever and waving at them and having maybe a a five-minute or a ten-minute conversation with them. You go from that to to actually creating a purpose-filled gospel centered moment with them. You invite them over to get to know them better. And listen, despite what you see in the movies, most people don't invite strangers to dinner, right? How many of you have been invited by a stranger in Walmart to dinner lately? That'd be weird. Most people don't, so we don't have a lot of time in movies, so we kind of skip the middle step, right? Like, generally, that doesn't happen. But in the movies, it's like, oh, they see each other across the room, and there's this romantic moment, love at first sight, and it ends with, I'll pick you up at eight, right? But that doesn't usually happen. Usually in the real world, what happens is that you like somebody, you think you might want to date them, and so you don't just go up to them and ask them out. You generally try to get around them more often, right? You find out what coffee shop they like, and you show up there every now and then hoping to see them. You time your walks just at the right time to where you might run into them. Some of that is getting a little stalkerish, but you just got to draw the line. You got to figure out where the line is. You hang out in groups, right? You hang out in groups to get to know them. And the whole time you're like trying to figure out, can I really like this person enough to date them? And do they like me? Give them a chance to, to reciprocate those feelings, right? You're, you're kind of just hanging out. That's step two. That's opening your life to them. Step three is the date, 
the date on the calendar. You go from just kind of knowing them to, to having a conversation and saying, hey, I've seen you a bunch. We've had some good conversations. I think we need to try to take this to the next level. I think we need to put something on the calendar. When you open your doors to your neighbors, when you invite them over to your house, you are clearly signifying to them that you want to be friends, that you want to be more than just people that wave to each other when they drive in or out of their yard or whatever. You want to be more than that. And listen, if you've never had your neighbors over for dinner, if you've never spent more than 20 minutes alone with your neighbor, your, neighbor, your family and their family, then you don't really know them. Even the better neighbors stop at step two, right? They stop at being out and saying hi and having some conversations. If you think you're an awesome neighbor, but you've never opened your doors to your neighbors, I would disagree. Our homes are probably one of the most underutilized resources in the kingdom of God. Represented in these seats is many times more square footage than we, in homes than we have at the church's building, right? And remember, it's not your home to begin with. Nothing you have really belongs to you. Look, look at a few scriptures about that on the screen. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Psalm 89.11, the, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Everything is God's. But when the Israelites were trying to get out of Egypt and Moses was trying to lead them out of Egypt, he dealt with a guy who didn't understand this. He didn't understand that everything is God's. He thought everything was his. Pharaoh, right? And so one time after the, the, the plague of the hail, Moses is talking to Pharaoh and he says he's, he's agreed to let the Israelites go. It's one of the times that he kind of agreed and then he came back on it and he kept them in slavery. But it says this in Exodus 9.29. Moses says, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the, the earth is the Lord's. Many more plagues came after this. All with the goal of convincing Pharaoh that he did not own what he thought he owned. It was all God's. Anything he had was given to him by God and could be taken away at any time. The crops he had, the weather he enjoyed, the sunshine that provided him light during the day, the children he had born, even the river Nile itself was God's. It was all God's. Everything is his. Don't be Pharaoh with what God has given you. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the, the parable of the talents. And a lot of people read this in Matthew 25 and they think talents like a abilities, giftings that God has given you. It's not that. These talents are actually, uh, it's actually money. It's physical material possession, right? And so this master in this parable gives three servants uh, different amounts of talents, different amounts of money, and he goes out of town. And he comes back and he checks with them to see what they've done with the money that he had given them, that he had entrusted to them. Two of the servants double their money in investing and whatever else, they double their money. The last servant, though, 
just held on to his money. He buried it in the ground and he went and unburied it. Unburied it? I'm going with unburied it, okay? Um, and he, he got it out and took it to the master. He said, I, don't, I didn't want to lose here what you gave me, so here it is. And that third servant is treated ridiculously harshly in this parable, isn't he? Think about that a second. The servant, the third servant who, who had the talent, he didn't waste it. He didn't lose the money. He didn't gamble it away. He didn't spend it on drugs. He just did nothing with it. And he gave it back, the whole thing, back to the master when he returned. And yet he's called in this parable a wicked, slothful servant. Think about that. To not use what God has given you for his kingdom is to misuse it. To not use it is to misuse it. The house you live in is God's. You're a steward. A steward means that you are a manager. You do not own what you have. That's what steward means. When we say be a good steward of your money, it means that the foundation of that is that it's not yours. That God has given it to you and you're managing it according to his purposes. So you are supposed to, to use that house you have to increase the kingdom of your master. You are supposed to use it for God, to glorify God, to love your neighbors as yourself. But maybe you're thinking, Pastor, this just isn't my gift. Like inviting people over and being nice, this is not my gift. This is not me. I'm just not good at this. Like I'm good at some things, but I'm not good at that. And Pastor, the the Bible says that the body is made up of different parts. I'm not that part. I just can't do this. I think a lot is determined uh, by the gifts that God has given you, how he's wired you to uniquely function within the larger body of Christ. But not every, so not everyone should teach, right? Because not everyone is gifted in teaching. Not everyone should sing because not everyone is gifted in singing, right? Some of you are like elbowing husbands, like stop singing so loud in worship. I get that. But there are some things that are universal to all followers of Christ, Right? Some things that don't depend on your particular gifting. I mean, evangelism might be a gift, but does that mean that all of us aren't supposed to follow the Great Commission? Only those with the gift of evangelism should witness? No. Somebody could be gifted, specifically gifted in prayer, but does that mean that you and I don't need to pray because we're not gifted in that? No. I think this is like that. Look at Romans 12, 9 with me real quick. I want you to see something. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing a list of things that all Christians should be. It's very generally applicable to all Christians. So just read this list, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. So far, you're reading this and you're going, absolutely, right? This is for everybody. It makes sense. This is universal stuff, stuff every Christian should work on. Love others, be genuine, hate evil, be patient, pray, give your finances to people who are in need. Sure, I get this, but, but let's read the last part. That's the part I want you to see. And... 
Seek to show what? Hospitality. Hospitality. Opening your doors to your neighbors. I don't think this is based on gifting. I think this is for everybody who calls themselves a Christ follower. And think of the possibilities here. What would it look like if all of the kitchens, back porches, grills, garages, guest bedrooms, tools, bathrooms, dining room tables were used for God, were available for God to use for his purposes, for his kingdom, to spread hope to the hopeless, to show love to the unloved, to spread the light to those who are stuck in darkness? What would that look like? Think of the possibilities. So that's step three. Open your heart, open your life, open your doors. Here's step four. Open your mouth. We keep coming back to this in this series because it's important. This is more than being a nice neighbor. This is more than making friends. This is more than guacamole and board games. All that's a part of the great commandment, and I love guacamole. But it's not all of it, right? There has to be a moment where you open your mouth and share Christ with your neighbors. If they already know Jesus and they're plugged into a church, we want them to stay at that church. I just want to be clear about that. If your neighbors love Jesus and are plugged into a church, we want them at that church, okay? They can stay there and get plugged in there, stay plugged in there. But that doesn't mean that you don't still share Christ with them. You don't still have faith-filled conversations with them. You don't sharpen them and encourage them, right? So it doesn't matter if they know Jesus or not. You still have to open your mouth and proclaim the gospel and talk through faith issues and whatever else. But really, this whole series is targeted towards the neighbors you don't know. Because we all took that survey in week one and didn't know our neighbors, or at least like 99% of us didn't even know names. So we're not talking about those neighbors you know. We're talking about the ones you don't know. The ones that maybe don't follow Jesus for real. They're not Christians, or maybe they're cultural Christians because their parents were or whatever, but they're, they're not following Christ. That's who you really need to be focusing on as you seek to love your neighbor as yourself and share Christ with them. Listen, being action-oriented is good. Being servant-oriented is good. Like, mow your neighbor's yard, okay? Plow the snow. Do stuff like that. Move bricks for your neighbor. Be action-oriented. Absolutely, those things are awesome, but they're only good if they're tied to a proclamation of the gospel. Because if you're not careful, you'll do good things for your neighbor, and they'll go, man, that's a good person. Love my neighbor. Helps me mow, helps me do this, helps me do that. They're just good people. But it won't ever get to Jesus. Are you with me? You, listen, I'm not saying you mow their yard and then go like outside of their house and scream a message to their front door. Don't be dumb, okay? Oh, that was, probably shouldn't have said don't be dumb. But don't be like that. That's not what I'm talking about. It might take a year of mowing their yard before you ever have a spirit conversa- spirit-filled conversation with them. I get that. I'm not saying it happens one right after the other, but there's got to be a moment where you verbally share Christ with them in some way, even if it's just to invite them to church or to share your story of what God is doing in your life or has done in your life. It doesn't have to be complicated, but if you're gonna make Jesus followers out of your neighbors, then step four has to happen. It's not actions or words. It's actions and words. 
Like we said a few weeks ago, you aren't called to be an evangelist, a pastor, a theologian because you're a Christian. But you are called to be a witness because you're a Christian. And a witness tells what he or she has felt, heard, seen. Just do that with your neighbors and invite them to come and see themselves. At church, in your home, at life group, just invite them to see what God has done. So open your heart to pray for your neighbors. Open your life to make room for them on a regular basis. Open your doors and use your house for the kingdom of God and open your mouth to tell your story and to invite them to come and see what God is doing. That's the plan. Modify it, add to it, talk with your family and your life group about it. Talk about how you're going to accomplish this, get detailed, ask them to keep you accountable because this is a big deal, isn't it? Now, I was reading 2 Corinthians 5 the other day and I ran across a passage that just spoke to this and I, I thought it fit well in our, in our series. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Let me just stop there for a second and say, aren't you glad that when you gave your life over to Christ, you became a new creation? Aren't you glad about that? That grace is free and that grace transformed your life. Transformed means you were something different before. The old has gone and the new has come. Somebody turn to your spouse and say, I'm glad you were changed (laughs) because you should have seen the old you, all right? Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Jesus, for not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You and I have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. If you've been reconciled to God through Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, you now carry the message of reconciliation. And by carrying that message, by being entrusted with that message, you are an ambassador. God is making his appeal to the hearts and souls of your neighbors through you. You are his instrument of reconciliation in your neighborhood. You are. There's a lot of weight in this. There's a lot at stake. It's a big deal. And listen, when something's a big deal to you, you plan for it, don't you? If it's a big deal If it's important, you don't just say you're going to do it. You make a plan, a step-by-step plan to follow so that it happens. If you really want to go to Europe on vacation, you plan, budget, get tickets, research good vacation spots. If you really want a strong marriage, you don't just say that. You make a plan to make sure you have a strong marriage. We're going to do date nights. We're going to go to bed at the same time. We're going to do a devotional after the kids go to sleep, whatever it is. You make a plan. If losing weight and being healthy is important to you, you make a plan to eat right and exercise and you start doing it. And listen, beloved, if following the great commandment to love God with all that you have 
and to love your neighbor as yourself is a priority, you make a plan. You get a pen and paper out and you start writing some stuff down. And then you start doing it. Step by step by step. Because you'll only be as effective as you are intentional. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that where our weakness is found, where our failure happens, that your grace abounds, that you are gracious, and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so as we think about loving our neighbor as ourselves and what that means, making a plan, getting intentional, being real about it, starting to step out and do some things, open our hearts, begin to pray, open our lives, change the way we live so that we are around our neighbors. Open our doors, get uncomfortable, bring them in, start to make a relationship with them. And open our mouths as we begin to share our story and share you. As we do that, we think through that, God, it can get overwhelming. It can be tough. We could quit before we even begin just because it seems so hard. Lord, I pray that your grace would be at the forefront of our minds. Holy Spirit, we just declare that you are the only one who can accomplish this in our neighborhoods, that you are the only one who can make this happen. We need you. We need you. We lay down our own ambition and our own agenda and our own abilities, and we just trust in you. We then lay down our excuses and our weaknesses, and we trust that you will be strong. We know that you love our neighbors. Help us to love our neighbors like you do. Lord, I pray as I always do that whatever is of you today, whatever was of you in this message, that it would stay with us, stick with us this week, that we wouldn't be able to forget it, that it would go deep into our hearts and souls and create faith, bear fruit. Whatever is not of you, Lord, we pray that it would be forgotten. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you. May the Holy Spirit move you from good thoughts to real actions. May God's voice in your heart be so persistent about this over the next few days that you can't help but sit down, get serious about it, and write out a plan. And may you open yourself to being used by God to reconcile your neighbors back to Him one at a time. God bless you. I hope to see you next week. And... Uh, Maybe you should bring a neighbor or two.